it is november 14th and you know what time it is it's time for another episode of your ex-boyfriend's podcast this is episode 43 43 titled attachment theory something i've alluded to in the past we're finally going to talk about because i did enough reading to make myself feel like i know what the fuck i'm talking about (laughs) so i can actually talk about it on the podcast so that's today's subject attachment theory real quick before we get into that a little bit of old slash new business it happened a couple days ago the student debt relief thing that president biden has been trying to do is currently being challenged in court a couple people really awesome cool people challenged the uh, legality of the student loan forgiveness program and sued and it is currently in the appeals process after the initial suit was ruled in the favor of the two what are they called plaintiffs and struck down so student debt relief currently on hold and the reason i bring this up not only because it is it something i care about selfishly because i would love to have ten thousand dollars of student debt forgiven um the reason i bring this up is because something as you all know that i care about deeply as i have talked about before is the um pushing of college on children and having them sign up for multi tens of thousands of dollar loans while they're still, you know, too young to smoke, too young to go to war, etc. And I also want to bring it up because we've talked about critical thinking on this podcast many a time. Something I've been trying to Um, raise awareness about you know there are things going on behind the scenes that maybe don't um, benefit you in the way in the way that they are presented in the way that you might think they do I would have in this case a question for everybody um, regarding the current state of this student debt relief thing why would it even be challenged and why would a court, a judge ruled that student debt relief was illegal or unconstitutional or whatever they said. I don't actually know what their exact wording was. Why would they strike that shit down when during the pandemic you had millions of dollars forgiven for um, businesses, for business loans, for the payment, uh, not payment, paycheck protection program why are businesses having these loans just typically erased or reduced vastly and individual borrowers who in this country are very often nowadays not getting the amount of income from the college degree that you would have in the past and now, you know, being saddled with quite a bit of debt from their college um, experience, why are these people being denied help? I'm not going to give you an answer. 
I don't even have an answer, but it's a question that I would pose. Something maybe you should think about. So on to this week's topic. Like I said, this episode is about attachment theory. And I've mentioned it maybe once or twice before, and now I'm ready to talk about it. So here we go. Attachment theory is this idea that tries to explain how humans create deep bonds or precious relationships. Um, And in this case, we can also refer to these bonds, relationships, as attachments. Why do humans create these attachments with select people? And just keep in mind before we get into this, while I do feel educated enough to talk about this, this is one of those subjects that I highly encourage extra reading, extra research done on your part if it's something that sounds interesting or applicable to your life. There's a lot that goes into this that I'm not going to talk about. And a big part of that is the uh, why humans form attachments, why humans are social creatures, how we depend on each other for survival, all that stuff. Very much not going to talk about that. (laughs) This episode, this is going to be a lot more about how these attachments form and how we operate on a day-to-day basis at the practical level. And as I think a lot of my listeners know, that's one of the things that I try to focus on uh, subject to subject on this podcast is the practical, the application. The theory is all there and available and necessary, but given that this is only a short form sort of podcast format, I don't really have the time or the resources to go into all of it, and it would probably be really boring. So just keep that in mind. This is much more how this stuff happens, how it manifests on a day-to-day basis, and much less why we're like this. So going into attachments. Historically, we see human beings making these attachments, forming these um, deep-seated bonds with select people. Namely, we see that happening nowadays with uh, caregivers, aka parents or whoever raises you, and partners, aka boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. We see humans forming these attachments with these select groups of people in order to source safety and security. It is bred into us as humans. It is a basic human need to form attachments with other members of our species, specifically in these groups of caretakers when we're young and elected partners when we're old enough for that in order to survive, in order to thrive and be healthy and prosper as a biological entity. So given that we aren't going to go, as I said, too far into the why and more the how, 
let's just suffice with knowing that this structure of forming attachments seems to be inherited. Like I said, it seems to be bred into us over time. Historically, that is how we have operated. And the styles of attachment, which is basically what we're going to be talking about today, these styles of anxious, avoidant, and secure attachment seem to be um, occurring as more of a learned behavior or um, reaction to environmental stimulus. So the structure of how we do this, of how we form attachments is kind of inherent. And then what exactly we do, which category we fall into more of a experimental thing or experiential, not experimental. <laughs> uh, although it could be experimental since, you know, you'll see. <laughs> oh, Anyway, in general, what we find is um, of the three categories, as I said, anxious, avoidant, and secure. Um, of those three, anxious and avoidant attachment styles tend to uh, crop up in people in unsafe or insecure environments. These types of environments in which there is um, upset breed avoidance and anxiety in your attachment styles specifically they do all sorts of other stuff and you know there could uh, there could be a whole podcast that's not mine <laughs> there could be a whole podcast on what happens to children when they're raised like that's a whole thing that is not my specialty that deserves its its whole po own podcast and i'm sure they're out there <laughs> i know there's plenty of books on it but um, for this episode, unsafe, insecure environments breed avoidant and anxious attachment styles. And on the flip side of that, peaceful environments, ones of support and peace when you're young, tend to breed secure attachment styles. So, kind of a little crash course there. Going further, I want to remind everybody of a couple things first of all this podcast episode is not meant to categorize anyone in stone i am not trying to label the entire population in one of three categories in one of these attachment styles nor do i provide these categories as labels that you can use as excuses for bad behavior. <laughs> okay. Attachment theory at its core is a framework to start from. It is a place to begin introspection. Your style, your attachment style can change over time. Or it may have already changed without you realizing it. You do tend to learn your attachment style the one that carries you forward into adulthood, you do tend to learn that learn it as a child. But nothing says that your experience can't change it or your intention to change cannot also change your attachment style. Just like everything else that we discuss on this podcast, we talk about it 
to become aware of our patterns, to analyze our patterns and change them if it is desired, change them if it is determined that we are currently in an unhealthy behavioral habit. So all that being said, take this stuff as a stepping off point. It doesn't explain everything about you. It doesn't explain why none of your relationships have ever worked. It doesn't give you an excuse to go on being one way or another. It is literally just to inform yourself of your own behavior. Take this and hopefully run with it and see where you where you end up. See what you discover. There's plenty of reading. There's plenty of listening. And I will link some stuff in the show notes for anybody that wants to go a step beyond and learn more about this. So the attachment styles, what are they? What do I mean when I say an anxious style or an avoidant style or a secure style? You may have already heard one or all of these terms or the idea of attachment theory um, sometime in the recent past. It has become kind of a psychology, mental health um, buzz topic. It gets thrown around on social media. It gets thrown around by people who um, want to use it as a boost for <laughs> visibility for their own, you know, whatever desires. And a lot of the time it gets, um, it gets used, like I said, as an excuse for behavior or, uh, people will label themselves this, that, or the other thing. You know, it's like how you always hear nowadays, you're always hearing people say that their ex was toxic or that their partner is a narcissist. Like these pop psychology buzzwords get thrown around without going too deep into them. And I find that more often than not. It's detrimental to the actual work that it takes to actually find out are your behaviors, you know, quote unquote toxic. And, you know, that just is another word for bad. It's gotten so diluted. But, you know, uh, what's the other one? Um, Is your partner actually a narcissist? Maybe they might be. Maybe not. Let's stop labeling things at the flip of a coin. Okay. Anyway, getting a little sidetracked, all that to say, you may have already heard some of these terms with the attachment theory, the styles. Um, So if you have, great. That's a good starting point. If you haven't, we're going to go into exactly, in very small nutshells, but exactly what each of these styles entails. And keep in mind, again, this is the Cliff Notes version I do not have an hour for each style like I could, okay? I've got a couple minutes to fit this episode into a palatable time limit. (laughs) Okay, so let me sit up, let me take a drink, and let's get this party started. Of the three attachment styles, I'm going to start with anxious, then I'm going to go into avoidant, and then I'm going to go into secure. And I start with anxious and avoidant because these are what could be considered the disordered attachment styles in that, like I said before, in childhood, in an insecure, 
unsafe, disrupted environment, these attachment styles are the ones that tend to um, get instilled in the child as a result of the environment. So we'll start with anxious. An anxious attachment style is one that I would call proactive overfunctioning over the lack of intimacy in any attachment targeted relationship. So for somebody who is anxiously attached, who exhibits an anxious attachment style, they value above all else in their attachment target, in their relationship with the person that they're attached with, attached with, be that their parent, caregiver, partner, whatever, uh, they value firm and reassured connection with the attachment target. Safety and security for the anxiously attached person is sourced by proactively trying to make the relationship with the target as strong as possible, to make that attachment as impervious to threat as they can make it. This results in the in the person with the anxious style, this results in them having a heightened sense of threat assessment in the relationship. They are always on the lookout for um, threats to the integrity of their relationship with that person. It results, as you might imagine, in that person being anxious, which is why it's called an anxious attachment style. They are, as we said, over-functioning in a proactive manner to eliminate threats before they can damage the relationship. And that's going to manifest as some, from an exterior point of view, it's going to manifest as what looks to be like needy, um, clingy, um, worried behavior. Anxiously attached people are quick to find and attach to a target, whether that be as a child who, you know, is has caregivers of some sort or as an adult with a given partner. And that is a much more relatable um, way to think of that, I think, for a lot of my listeners as I'm pretty sure you all are adults. I don't think I have a single child listening to this. But if I do, welcome. Please keep listening. <laughs> but with the partner, anxiously attached people will find somebody and have their positive sentiments override doubts over the relationship. Like they are going to focus on the positives of a relationship with somebody and make those, you know, the basis for which they build that relationship and often will ignore the red flags. And everybody has red flags. You know, every relationship is going to have things that aren't perfect, things that don't vibe with both people. People with an anxious style are going to ignore those and focus on attaching, building the relationship, maintaining and protecting the attachment. They are always on alert. And 
when they perceive a threat to the relationship, and most often this comes from the other person, so let that paradox sink in, when they perceive a threat to the intimacy of the relationship, and like we said, the active, or I should say the proactive overfunctioning is because of a perceived lack of enough intimacy, they are less able to calm down after. So always on alert, looking for stuff to be wrong, looking for something to happen. If something actually does happen, whether that was a self-fulfilling prophecy or there was something, some behavior of the other person that causes a lack of intimacy and however they solve it, it does get solved. Then the anxiously attached person, less able to calm down, less able to return to a lack of threat detection. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? The, uh, the anxious, anxiously attached person needs lots of reassurance and lots of presence from the target of their attachment to feel secure and safe. They need lots of communication. And I don't mean to say that it's effective communication. Let's bear that in mind. But they just need, in their minds, a lot of check-ins and reassurances and examples from their partner or from their parent or caregiver or whatever that they are okay, the relationship is secure, there is enough intimacy here for me. The person with the anxious attachment style is often labeled like the chaser or the fixer or the needy one. Since they depend on this constant and reassured connection with the target of their attachment, it results in anxious people staying in relationships often longer than they should, too long, in order to ensure the safety and security that they feel that they derive from the relationship, from the attachment. Though this is often not the case. As you might imagine. <laughs> Side note, I, over the course of my last shit, almost 32 years, birthday's coming up, I have very much been the anxiously attached person. And this is one of those things that I still have not figured out entirely, but I know that I have been an anxious person my whole life in general. And this has applied as well to my attachment style. I learned very young in life that to feel safe, I needed to proactively overfunction. I needed to focus on repairing, maintaining, building up whatever relationship was the one that I was focused on. When I was a kid, obviously the one with my parents. As I got older, shortly after high school, that was my romantic relationship. This is something that I've known for a while that I am definitely the, the worrier, the anxious one, the fixer in the relationship. And it has been a journey and a struggle at many times to move past that to secure, to a secure attachment style. But we'll get more into that probably later. That was the anxious attachment style. Again, in my own words, 
It is proactive overfunctioning in a relationship due to a perceived lack of intimacy. The second disordered attachment style occurring from a disruptive, unsafe, insecure environment as a child is the avoidant attachment style. In my own words, I call this reactive overfunctioning over a perceived excess of intimacy. The avoidant attachment style values independence and self-reliance over all else. Safety and security for an avoidantly attached person is sourced by ensuring that there is no dependence on the attachment target for anything, meaning that they could do entirely without the attachment. Now, this may sound like it is in direct contradiction with the idea of what I said earlier, the human need for attachment. Sort of. (laughs) The avoidant person is still focused on safety and security and still carries that need, that human need for attachment, for close, precious relationship with other people, for that deep bond. Because that's a human thing. That is something that we have evolved to rely on. The avoidant person, however, is not focused on maintaining the attachment as their source of safety and security. They are focused on what happens when the attachment, when the relationship dissolves. Can I be okay without this? Can I maintain my own safety and security in the event that this relationship no longer exists? Hence, the reactive overfunctioning. They don't want to get too intimate because if they end up relying on the other person, if they end up losing a certain amount of independence, that spells danger to the avoidantly attached person. So with the avoidant attachment style, there is a false equivalence of self-reliance and independence equaling being alone. With the anxious, the false equivalence is I can't be okay unless the relationship is okay. And with the avoidant, it is, I am most okay when there is no relationship, even though at my core, I desire attachment and I benefit in certain ways from being in relation with, you know, obviously when you're young, your parents, as an adult with your partner, I am safer, I am more secure when I can function autonomously. There is a heightened sense of infringed autonomy when the avoidant person is in a relationship, when they have an attachment target. That sense of my independence and self-reliance being threatened is much higher. As such, avoidant people are much slower to attach to a target. 
they are much slower to get to the point of relationship. Uh, I guess I'll use the word committed relationship, consistent relationship maybe, with another person. And once in that relationship, once they have an attachment target, they are much slower to perceive danger to the relationship and much slower to repair damage in the case that a threat does do damage to the relationship. What you're gonna see is the avoidant person needing more space. They're gonna need less communication. They're gonna need less in general from the target of their attachment. If that's your partner, that's that person is going to be the one that doesn't wanna talk about stuff, that has issues, um, has problems arguing without you know feeling like they need to run away. The person that is going to keep a certain amount of distance in the relationship, whether that means you know sexually or emotionally or God, you know, it could mean that they don't invite you to things with their friends or um, you don't meet their family very quickly in the relationship. They're going to create that space that they need in some way in order to feel safe and secure. This person is often called like, well, I don't want to say often called. I don't know. I'm just making this shit up. But you could consider them like the lone wolf. You know, you're going to get the cold shoulder or what feels like a cold shoulder from this person. And much as the anxiously attached person will stay too long in relationships that are not healthy for them in order to ensure said safety and security, the avoidantly attached person will end relationships much sooner, often prematurely, to ensure the safety and security to keep from having their independence and self-reliance degraded by what they perceive as an excess of intimacy. Before we get into the third style of attachment, the secure attachment style, I wanna segue, take a left turn, I guess, into how anxious and avoidantly attached people tend to gravitate towards each other. One of the things I've heard this called is um, out of the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller, which I will link in the show notes. They call this the anxious avoidant trap, you know. Um, basically, like I said, the inevitable, seemingly inevitable attraction of people who have anxious attachment styles to people who have avoidant attachment styles and vice versa. What you see happening with people that form attachments with each other, one being anxious and one being avoidant, is this cycle. And it can start with either the anxious person or the avoidant person. It's really a chicken or the egg thing. It doesn't matter. We'll start with the anxious person starting the cycle. Or I should say the avoidant. (laughs) The exact opposite of what I said. We'll start with the avoidant person starting the cycle. What you'll see happening is the avoidantly attached person needing space, as they do with their attachment style. They value space in the relationship in order to feel safe. 
they will do something. The book calls it um, deactivation strategies. They will do any number of behaviors to deactivate the intimacy in the relationship. They perceive an excess of intimacy, which feels dangerous. So they do something about it. They protest. This could be something like, you know, it could be something as simple as not responding to text messages or making plans without telling you. It could be something very simple, but for an anxious person, very wounding. The anxiously attached person sees this, experiences this from their partner, from their loved one, feels insecure about it. Obviously, if you're anxiously attached, your partner trying to create space, trying to create distance, trying to lessen intimacy in the relationship is the complete antithesis to the thing that brings you safety and security. So you feel bad about that shit. As the anxiously attached person, what do you do? You follow your own attachment style, which is to chase and to repair and to attempt to resolve the threat to the relationship. You're not trying to make space. You are trying to get as close as possible. As the anxiously attached person chases, you come to a head with your partner. One of you, if the relationship continues, one of you concedes. One of you says, okay, my needs are lesser and we'll do it your way. There's going to be a sacrifice there. And it's not that it's always, you know, that conversation a hundred percent. A lot of times you'll, you'll feel like, oh, this was a compromise. You both will be like, yeah, we compromised and we can do it this way. And maybe next time we can do it that way. What I've noticed definitely in my own experience is inevitably that shit starts to pile up. And I don't know if this works or if it was the same for, for other people, any anxiously attached people feel free to reach out or whatever. If you're avoidantly attached or secure, I don't, I don't care. Reach out if this resonates with you. What I found in my own relationships as I was in this cycle was that I tended to be the one that conceded because a relationship, an attachment is inherently dependent on a certain amount of intimacy. And if one person is feeling like I want to maintain this and another person is feeling like I need to have less of this, the person, like the, the relationship at some point needs a certain amount of intimacy. And what am I trying to say here? Bring it back to where, where I was going with this. As an anxious person, I felt like I was the one conceding. Like, okay, well, if I concede, the relationship is maintained, the attachment target stays attached to me and vice versa. And that is what I want in the end is for this to not dissolve. Anyway, (laughs) where is I going with this? Oh, the cycle. So one person concedes, also called not having your needs met, right? One person concedes and the cycle repeats. So maybe what happens is because the anxiously attached person got their way, now the avoidantly attached person who may in the moment feel like they had some sort of temporary resolution 
or maybe permanent resolution, subconsciously over time as the cycle repeats is going to feel imposed upon, is going to feel like their sense of autonomy is being infringed upon by the anxious person's needs. And eventually, this comes to a head. Not saying it always comes to an end of the relationship because people can change, like we talked about. People can improve. People can work towards security. But it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of times, it means the end of the relationship. When one person cannot continue the cycle anymore, and maybe it's both of you, right? Maybe you're on the same page. When the cycle is unsustainable, things have to change. Okay, so where do we go next? The secure attachment style. The secure attachment style is in essence what we are all striving for, whether we realize it or not. Secure attachment could be characterized by regulated emotions, and communication of needs. Going deeper, the securely attached person values above all else, clear communication and cooperation with the target of their attachment. Meaning that there are no unilateral decisions made in either direction. The two people In the relationship, the ones that are attached, when they make a decision regarding the relationship, regarding the attachment, it is bilateral. There is no overfunctioning on the part of the securely attached person. There is no manipulation. There's no game playing. That person wants clear communication of needs and bilateral cooperation with their person. A securely attached person is more often reliable and consistent with their partner, meaning that there is no emotional roller coaster. There is no confusion. There's no guesswork. There's no, okay, at one, at one moment they were really close and we were seeming really happy. And then another moment things co- seem completely out of whack. And I think we're about to break up with securely attached people. What you will more what you will see more often is consistency and it could be you know that there are consistencies that maybe you know there are still arguments and there are still there are still uh points of contention and problems will occur that is with any relationship but by reliable and consistent what i mean is the securely attached person if they are committed to the relationship continuing, if that's what they truly want, it will show. Regardless of problems, regardless of fights and arguments, disappointments, failures, at the end of the day, there is no questioning that they want the attachment to continue. On the flip side of that, they do not by any means feel like they need it to continue to be okay themselves but we'll get to that 
With the securely attached person, there is an emphasis, like I said, on open and clear communication, including wants, needs, and boundaries. They are open to the commitment and everything that that entails to another person, but like I said, not dependent on the relationship for their own safety and security. Safety and security for the securely attached person is sourced from the building of a healthy relationship with the attachment target and simultaneously the knowledge that they will be okay if it needs to end. They need commitment to a healthy relationship from the target of their attachment to feel safe and secure. But at the same time, they need to know and have their partner respect the fact that they are an individual, independent, self-reliant, and would be okay alone and need to not have that infringed upon. Because that's something, as I think a lot of us are on the same page with, we all need. We all need to have a certain sense of autonomy and self-worth, something we've talked about plenty. <laughs> So that's the securely attached person. And it sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> I know for myself, that is what I'm trying to move towards. And I tell you what, it's a struggle. Like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, it is hard. Coming from, you know, 30 years of being this anxiously attached style trying to deactivate those parts of me that want to, you know, fix everything, want to be on constant alert, ever vigilant, <laughs> right? That's tough. And I'm very hyper aware of the fact that sometimes what this means for me is I pendulum in the other direction and do some avoidant shit, right? Like, because I don't want to continue this pattern of um, over-functioning in an anxious way, I notice that at times I will do things that make me completely avoidant, right? Like not communicate something or, um, like I said in the last episode, completely overlook somebody's needs or wants in order to do something for myself and it's not intentional it is literally just what felt right at the time and looking back yeah of course that's avoidant of course that's a distancing technique but like i said none of this stuff is set in stone and if you look at what I'm talking about now, you may see some of that in yourself. You may find yourself exhibiting alternating traits of more than just one style. And your style may completely change. And that's okay. This is just a starting point. Over time, as, you're, as you find yourself, as you make yourself aware of the things that you're doing that are either anxious or avoidant, if you are one of those, or if you have a combination of both, and 
you make yourself aware of them, that is the starting point for you to be like, I can do something different. I, that is the awareness of the pattern. Now you're free to analyze. And over time, if you do the little things, right, you do one thing here and one thing there, at some point you're going to move towards security. And that's what I'm trying. The biggest difficulty I find with that is you have to have somebody because, you know, the whole idea of attachment theory is you're doing it with somebody else. You have to be attaching with somebody or trying to form a relationship with somebody who can meet you somewhere in the middle. And I don't mean to say that securely attached people can't be in relationship with people who are more avoidant or are more anxious, but it's tough. And I've never done that myself. And I feel like ideally what you want is somebody who is also trying to move towards security, towards a secure attachment style with you if they're not already there. If you are anxious or avoidant and by the luck of the draw, you are, you have attracted the, um, attachment of somebody who is secure in their own attachment style, count your blessings because that person, quite honestly, in just this regard of attachment theory, that person is going to give you the best shot at a healthy relationship. That is always a good place to start from. If you disregard everything else that goes into adult relationship and, and mental health and self-worth and all the shit we've talked about over 43 episodes or 42 episodes. If you just look at this one thing of attachment style, the securely attached person, the person that knows how to do, you know, the secure things is going to give you a much better shot than somebody who's, if you're anxious, than somebody who's also anxious or somebody who's avoidant, you know? That's a good starting point. Also, on the topic of moving towards security, this episode, again, isn't meant to teach you how, okay? This is the jumping off point. There is a lot of introspection that needs to happen. If you're not already aware of this, of attachment theory in general, there is so much introspection and and thinking and writing and, and reading and you just, you're, if this is the first you're being exposed to attachment theory, there's no point in saying, okay, now here are the quick, quick, you know, 10 steps to not be, you know, disordered in your attachment style. This show isn't for quick fixes. So we're not even going to try that here. Okay. But to close that out, moving towards security is possible. It takes a lot of work, just like everything else but it is possible. And just because you may find yourself being anxiously attached or avoidantly attached or some combination of both, it doesn't mean that you're not worth a shit. It doesn't mean that you can't have adult relationships. It doesn't mean that you can't function in attachment with other people. It just means that you're now aware of how you function. And we are trying with this knowledge to avoid overfunctioning. So take what you heard here today, 
And if you feel it's for you, run with it. And if you have any questions, by all means, reach out. I will link uh, a couple books in the show notes and maybe a podcast or two. Good places, if you liked what you heard today, good places to move on to. So with that, we'll wrap up my longest solo episode in a while. Sweet. So if you want to contact me, you can always email me at your podcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at your underscore EXBF underscore podcast. On Instagram, I post weekly and I should probably post more, but I post weekly with new episodes. This podcast, your ex-boyfriend's podcast, is hosted on Podbean at justicetenna.podbean.com and it is distributed literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. Google me, Google the podcast, or just go to justicetenna.podbean.com or if you have the app, go there and you can link to anywhere this is distributed. It's all over the place. So with that, thank you for listening again. I appreciate all my listeners. I'll talk to you next week. And until then, happy attaching.